Well, for those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeannie. Uh, welcome. I, I'm so grateful that you're here tonight. And uh, you're walking in in the middle of a series that we've been doing called Good to Grow. And we've been talking about the fact that God created us to grow. We've been talking about how not only God created us to grow, but that it is, in fact, good to grow. Jarrett mentioned this uh, as he was just talking, but as Soul City Church, you know, we are committed to leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus because we believe that it's in a relationship with Jesus that we most grow. And I love seeing people grow. Uh, I love watching and being a part of, of the process of growth. And one of the many things that I love about what I get to do in, in, uh, in my role here at Soul City Church, and, and, and really one of the things that I love to do in life, is, is to connect with people and to hear their stories and, and to hear about what God is doing along the way. And, and undoubtedly, almost every time that I've ever sat across from somebody and they've you know, told me their story and, they, and they've told me you know, th- their journey and their life, and you know where it began and you know they start to walk through the you know the events of their story almost always while they're telling their story they sort of stop at a moment and and, and they have this moment and they say you know and then there was this moment and then there was this time or or was this moment when my parents divorced or was there was this moment when I experienced this loss or life took a major turn at this moment, or, or when this happened, it was the first time in my life when I really felt helpless, or, or when, this, when this thing happened, you know, I, I didn't know what to do, or, or when, when this happened in my life, like the whole plot of my life started to turn, or, or when this person entered my life, when this character came into my story, everything changed. In fact, I look at my own story, I look at my own life, and if I were to, you know, to start from the beginning, and if I were to tell you my story, and I were sort of to chronicle you through the different experiences of my life, I could walk you through experiences that while I was going through them, all I wanted to do was get out of them. Moments that if I was the only author of my story, if I was the only one writing the events of my life, I would have avoided these moments altogether. Moments that if I could have, I would have chosen to not experience these moments. And these moments in life, these moments that I'm talking about, are moments of pain. And they're moments that if it were up to us, we would avoid them. But here's the amazing thing about pain it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. No one of faith has ever avoided pain. There's not a single follower of Jesus on the planet. For that matter, there's not a single human being on the planet that has pranced through life and avoided pain. You see, to be human means at some point in life, probably even many moments in life, you will experience pain. In fact, God knows that we're going to experience pain. He references it often throughout the scriptures. There's countless different passages of scripture that talk about when we encounter pain. Jesus himself, he says in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have what? Trouble. 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' brother, James, many of you probably read this book this week. It was part of what Jared encouraged us to do last week, to read the book of James. James, Jesus' brother, he says this in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Because you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And the amazing thing about this is that Jesus warns us, you know, there is going to be trouble. There is going to be heartache. There is going to be difficulty. And I have yet to meet a person. I have yet to be in a conversation sitting at a Starbucks and somebody is telling me their story and they get to this moment in their life when they say, you know, and then pain entered my story and they say, and you know what? It was a sheer gift. I mean, I just couldn't get more of it. If there was only a sale at Target on pain, I would buy more and more and more and more. I have never in my life been in a conversation with someone, not one single human being on the planet, that has said, I would choose pain. Not one human. And if they were completely authentic with their pain, would anyone ever say, I want more of it, and I consider it, a gift. In fact, most of us, if given the option or the preference, we try to avoid pain, right? I mean, we try and go the other direction. Whether it's the kind of pain that comes to us out of the blue and we didn't see it coming, or the kind of pain that we actually choose into through decisions or actions that we make that end up walking us into pain. If we're honest, most of us are actually a little bit more like escape artists when it comes to pain, right? I mean, we we hate suffering. We're a fix-it society. When we have a headache, we grab for that ibuprofen bottle as quickly as we can. When we feel pain, we want it to go away. But to be alive means you're going to experience pain. In fact, most of us, The very first thing that we did when we entered into this world, we cried. Your first act and my first act of humanity was shedding tears. We felt pain and we expressed that we did not like it. We wanted to go back to where it was warm and safe and dark. And yet we entered into this cold and bright and difficult world. And the Bible is explicitly clear that wrapped within the bundle of pain is the possibility for faith. That wrapped within the bundle of pain is the possibility for faith. Inside of pain, we can be led to more growth. Inside of pain, we can be led to more hope. And you and I can not grow outside of pain. Many of you have probably heard this incredible quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, God 
whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, whenever, whenever we experience pain, our ears are open. When the world experiences pain, its ears are open, right? And Jarrett and I, we were, uh, we were driving around this week, and, and we were talking, and we got into this conversation, and we started talking about some different experiences that we've had throughout our lives, different moments throughout our lives. And, and, and we were talking about painful experiences, And as we were chatting about them and as we were discussing them, we were talking about how if we would have chosen it, we would not have allowed those things to happen. If it were up to us, if we were the only author of our story, those circumstances wouldn't have happened. But our conversation turned in and we started to discuss how those experiences, those circumstances, were the moments in our life where we can look back and we can go, I think that was the beginning of some very significant growth. I think that was the beginning of some very significant faith that started to form. I think that was the beginning when I began to see God very differently. And as we were talking about these moments in our life and these painful things that if it were up to us, they would not have happened. As a mom, the very first thing that I thought of was my kids. And I thought, oh no, they're going to go through pain. Like the, the faith that I am praying that they will have one day, I know that I've grown so much because of faith or because of pain. I've grown so much because of the experiences that have happened in my life. And so that means this, this faith that I am praying for them, they probably will not receive it outside of pain. And my first thought was, how can I keep them from it? I mean, the the thought of of someone making fun of my kids on the playground, I mean, I become like a mommy Rambo in my heart, you know? Like, how can I take the kid out as quickly as possible? The thought of my kids facing disappointment, it makes me want to put them in a bubble and never let them go out in the world. I've told Jared on a regular basis, we should have never bought a dog Because I know that one day they're going to have a Marley and me kind of moment with our dog. Our children are going to experience pain. And I know that when their faith is tested, that most likely that pain has the possibility to result in greater faith in their life. I've learned that often that what can test our faith is the very thing that grows our faith. That what can test our faith is often the very thing that God uses to grow our faith. But many of us, we need to reframe our pain. We need to see it through an entirely different lens. We need to see it through a lens of possibility. And I think in order for us to reframe our pain, it would help to actually look at an encounter that Jesus had in the New Testament with someone that was in the middle of excruciating pain. So we're going to work our way through a passage over the next few moments and look at what Jesus did 
when some of his friends experienced pain. So there's a Bible in front of you. I'd love for you to grab it. And I'm going to have you turn to John 11. It's found on page 990. And the book of John is actually the fourth book in the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are really the writings of Jesus' experience here on earth. They're called the Gospels. And we're going to look at the fourth Gospel. John 11, page 990. And this is the story of Jesus and his friend Lazarus. Some of you may have heard this story, and we're going to work our way through it. We're going to start right in verse 1. So here's what it says. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, who's referenced here in this verse, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her feet with her hair. So John, the writer here, is giving some context that Mary is somebody that Jesus knew well. And so the sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. We're going to stop right there. So when it says, Lord, the one that you love is sick, essentially Mary and Martha, these friends of Jesus, I mean, this, this person that they're sending message to, they're good friends, right? I mean, they're not just like Facebook friends where they like one another's status on a regular basis, right? I mean, the scriptures say in the text, Lord, the one you love is sick. So essentially, this is a close relationship. And Mary and Martha, they assumed that Jesus, right away, he would come running. Let's move on. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So we're not four verses into the story, and it's already getting complicated, right? I mean, Jesus is essentially saying, this pain, this sickness that Lazarus is in, even though I didn't cause it, I didn't cause his sickness, Jesus says, I'm not going to fix it. And in me not fixing it, it's actually going to bring me glory. And I think this is where quite a few of us, we get hung up with God. Many people. This is the tension, isn't it? How could he allow something so painful like this to happen? How could he allow sickness to actually bring him glory? If he's all-powerful, why doesn't he just stop it from happening? Let's continue on in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and now you're wanting to go back? So not only is it getting complicated in a theological way, it's getting complicated for the disciples, right? Because Lazarus is their friend also. Lazarus is sick, and they all love Lazarus, and they've seen Jesus do tons of miracles. They've seen Jesus do the kind of miracles where he wasn't even in the city, and he was like, heal him. And, and a whole other city away, the person's healed. And they're like, Jesus, you remember what, that time when you did that thing where, you know, you just sort of spoke it out, and that person was healed? Let's just do that again, okay? 
If you're not willing to get on the road and travel, let, you know, just do it from here. And the disciples, I mean, they're confused. Not only is he not planning to go and heal Jesus, but he also wants to go through Judea. And, and, and like everyone in Judea hates him. Like clearly this guy is not thinking. And it says in the text that Jesus stays where he's at for two more days. Two more days. Jesus does nothing. I think if most of us were honest, we've had moments where we thought, okay, God, I really, I really need you to come through. And I don't need you to like do that thing where you wait around and you have some timing behind, you know, the, the whole planet. I need you to do this now. So ready, set, go. And there's nothing. Moments where you've prayed those kinds of pleading prayers. Moments where you're like, God, I will do anything. I will do anything to get out of this circumstance. God, I'll do anything if you just reverse this situation. God, I'll do anything if you just, if you would just give me a do-over right now. Like, you've got the power, you've got a huge eraser up there. Can't you just, you know, blot it out, just give me a fresh do-over right now. God, I'll do anything if you would just salvage this relationship, if you would just save this relationship. And God seems silent. We continue on in verse 9. It says, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It's when people walk at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And I love this little thing here because Jesus totally goes off track and he like does a little two-verse sermon on daylight savings time, you know, and, and all the disciples are totally confused, like, what are you talking about? Our friend Lazarus is sick. He jumps back in, and, and then he goes on, and he says, you know, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there. I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, this is great. He'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may, what? Believe. But let us go to him. And there is a very important word in this verse. In verse 15, the word believe. Jesus says, I am waiting. I'm waiting so that you will believe. Jesus knows that life, it has many twists and many turns, that unexpected trials and pain can emerge. And in a moment, in a moment when pain enters, that is the moment that what we really believe is tested, right? And we know that's true. It's in the unexpected that what we believe about God is truly revealed. I heard someone once say that pain has a way of melting the wax in our ears, doesn't it? 
pain gets our attention, doesn't it? And it reveals what we really believe. When that phone rings and the news on the other end, you can hardly believe that that's what you're hearing. When the news comes, when that dream is shattered, when life doesn't seem to be going the way that you thought that it would, this is when what we believe about God is truly put to the test. And the passage goes on in verse 16. It says, Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, All right, let us go that we may die with him. Thomas was like the Debbie Downer of the disciples. And in verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 18. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary, she stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know, I know that even now, God, that you will give that God will give you whatever you ask. I mean, Martha, she's having like that honest desperation moment, isn't she? She's having that moment when she almost sort of like gambles with God a little bit, right? I mean, her brother has been dead for four days and, and she's sort of revealing her disappointment in Jesus. If you just would have been here, if you just would have been here, God, but, but I know like you can still do something. You can still do something, God. He'll listen to you. Like, he's your father. I know, I know something can happen. And we've had that feeling, haven't we? God, if, if you would just, if you would just bring someone into my life. I have prayed this prayer for so long, God. I, I feel overly desperate in praying it. But God, if you would just bring someone into my life. God, if you would just finally allow that, that pain that happened so long ago that continues to emerge in my life, if you would just bring healing from that. God, if you would just help me to understand why I continue to feel this depression and this loneliness. God, if you would just give me clarity about what you want me to do with my life. God, if you would just do what you say you're capable of doing. And Martha has this moment, doesn't she? She has this moment with Jesus. She says, I know, I know that you can literally just snap your fingers, Lord. And God will do whatever you ask. So how about it? And that feeling of desperation is real. I know I have experienced that feeling. I've experienced that pain in my own life where I've prayed prayers like, God, please, please don't let this be what it looks like it's going to be. Continues on in verse 23. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I 
I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? You can almost see Jesus leaning in. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. And he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Verse 30, now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, they were comforting her. They noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. But when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, they were also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. You know, lots of people have used John 11.35 as like their only verse that they can sort of, it's their claim to fame that they've memorized a Bible verse. Oh, yeah, I know, I, lo- I know the Bible very well. Do you know John eleven thirty five? Yeah, Jesus wept. Yeah, you got that one? You know, and, and, and it's this verse that, that, you know, people have sort of quoted over the years and like, yeah, I, I know a Bible verse. But it is truly one of my favorite verses throughout the Bible because it reveals the depth. It reveals the depth of Jesus' emotion. It reveals that in the middle of sorrow and loss and pain and despair, that Jesus felt deeply. And it doesn't say that Jesus shed a tear or or that Jesus felt compassion. It says that Jesus wept. That means that Jesus ugly cried. It means that Jesus, he had that uncontrollable heaving and the loss and the pain and the grief that can surge through your body when you truly cannot believe the loss that is on your doorstep. That means that in the middle of our pain, that in the middle of our loss, in the middle of our grief, in the middle of our questions, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of the things that we cannot believe we're in the middle of, that Jesus knows the depth of that emotion. That we have a Savior that has experienced the depth of pain. And the passage goes on in verse 37. But some of them said, Could he not, who opened the eyes of the blind man, have just kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
And it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, probably very similar to the one that he would find himself in in just weeks or so time. And Jesus said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. And the King James Version says that it literally stinketh. That's the King James Version, okay? It stinketh. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may, what? Believe. That they may actually believe that you sent me. That they may believe that I really am the son of the living God. And when he had said this, it says Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. And his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him I mean, can you just imagine? Can you just imagine that moment? I mean, the joy, the disbelief, the awe that was going on in that moment. I mean, a man had been dead, totally dead for four days, and he comes walking out of a grave. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, come out out. And he doesn't make a man that was sick feel better. He doesn't just restore a man. Jesus resurrects. He resurrects. He gives new life. And the Bible says that people all around, they actually put their faith in Jesus because of what he did. And Jesus took the most painful of circumstances and he allowed it to be used for growth. I so wish the Bible would have recorded like Mary and Martha and the disciples' response. I think that maybe John like just kept it out of the scriptures because they like, they passed out and they were like, you know, bribing him like, do not put that in the holy scriptures that we passed out, Okay. And this story, I mean, it's been told and it's been read and it's been taught for literally 2,000 years. It's an amazing story. Jesus resurrects a man, right? But the reason I'm so glad that this story is in the Bible is because it is such a complicated story. It's so complicated. I mean, sure, Jesus, he resurrects him. But before that... We all remember what he did, right? He let a man stay dead. A man that he loved. He allowed Mary and Martha to experience grief and loss. 
He allowed his disciples to question and wonder what on earth he was doing. Jesus didn't cause the pain or the heartache. Jesus didn't cause the sickness. Jesus didn't cause the death. But he allowed it to happen. And when we hit pain, either pain that we didn't go looking for or pain that was done to us, or pain that maybe we sort of even marched ourselves into. When we encounter pain, we have a possibility inside of that pain. But most of us, our questions get hung up on one word. Why? Why, God? Why this? Why now? Why him? Why her? Why that? Why didn't you stop that? Why didn't you stop me? There are things in my life that still have a huge why over them. Just yesterday, my son was playing baseball game and he got a line drive hit out to third base. Do you know what I said? God, why can't my dad be here? God, why didn't you why didn't you let him stay so that so that he could see this one day? And in the moment of pain, in the moment of pain, the last thing that any of us wants to hear is, God has a plan, you know? I was sitting with a friend of mine a week or so ago, and he was telling me a story in his life, and gifted, gifted guy, had an incredible career in front of him had all of the heart and the discipline and, and the sheer talent and experienced an injury. A shattered dream right there in the moment. Somebody would have marched into that office and said, son, God has a plan for your life. That probably wouldn't have been what he wanted to hear in the moment. I remember someone trying to comfort me after my dad suddenly died, and they said, you know, Jeannie... God is going to use this in your life. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to punch them in the face. And the thing about why, the difficulty around the question why, is that why will always remain a mystery. There are things in your life where you are asking the question, why? And I am here to tell you, most likely, it will remain a mystery. And oftentimes, oftentimes, when the pain can start to subside a bit, a better question can emerge. 
than the question of why. And that is the question of what. What are you doing, God? What do you want me to see? What do you want to show me about yourself? What do you want to show me about myself? What do you want to do in my life through this disappointment? God, what can actually come from this pain? What can you do in me because of this pain? You know, I have met many grown adults that are actually not growing, and most of the time that they are not growing is because they have spent most of their time asking the question why instead of the question what. And here is what I know to be true. I do not know. I do not know the distinct and the unique pain of your life. But I do know that Jesus does. The one who wept at the grave of his friend not only knows your pain, but he experiences it with you. He feels it with you. And he longs to strengthen your faith and to show you what he can do in you because of it. And so as the band comes up right now, we're going to spend a few moments worshiping. And I'm going to ask each of you to take a risk with me tonight. My hunch is there are probably things in your life, because there are things in my life, that have a big why plastered across it. And I'm going to ask each of us to take a risk tonight and ask God to help us move from why to what. Because Jesus longs to take what is painful. He longs to take even ashes and turn them into beauty. Here's the amazing thing. God created you and I from a little mound of dust, didn't he? He just gathered up some dirt and blew into it, and look at what he created. God can take dust and turn it into beauty, which allows me to know and believe that God can take even the deepest pain in our life, even the deepest pain in our life, and can strengthen us can restore our faith. The band is going to play a song for us over the next few moments. And the song, I love this song, it's called Beautiful Things. And while they uh, play this song, we're going to do something that we do on a regular basis, and we're going to receive our offering. And the reason we do this is for many of us, it's a, it's a way for us to tangibly say to God, God, thank you. Thank you for how you're at work in my life. Thank you for the resources that you've given to me, and I trust you with it. But the other thing that we're going to do after we receive the offering is I'm going to ask you, while you're listening to these words and while you're reflecting upon the verses that come up onto the screen, to ask God 
God, will you give me the courage? Will you give me the courage to turn why into what in my life? To allow this pain to produce growth in my life. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the truth um, that you sent your son Jesus to be with us, to walk amongst us. We thank you, Jesus, for the picture of you standing by the grave of your friend weeping. We thank you, God, that you know You know the depth of our loss or our hurt or our pain or our disappointment. There's not anything in this world, God, that we have experienced that you don't understand completely. And Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word. There is nothing, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from your love. And so, Jesus, I pray right now that you would whisper to us, that you would give us the courage to move from why to what. God, I pray that you would whisper to some in this room right now, don't give up. God, I pray that you would whisper to some, keep going. God, I pray that you would whisper to some, I see your tears. I know your desire. God, for some, they so desperately need to hear that you haven't forgotten them, that you're with them. God, some of us in this room, we need to hear the words from you to trust you, to put our faith in you, to truly believe in you. God, some of us need to hear, I forgive you. And all of us, God, we need to hear. We need to hear your gentle, true whisper that you love us and that you can take all of this pain and you can actually transform it into something beautiful. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.